Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking some Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. First of all, I do have to say thank you to everyone for your patience, and I hope everyone had a lovely holiday season if you were celebrating holidays over the last couple of weeks. And I hope everyone's start to 2023 has been a little bit better than mine. Uh, <laughs> for, for those of you that follow me and no one saw, uh, both my wife and I got very sick in the last week or so. And, uh, you know, both of those back to back. In fact, she even had to be hospitalized. It, it got so bad. It was as sick as I have ever been in my entire life. It took quite some time for uh, the both of us to recover. So I appreciate you, you, you waiting and, and I'm going to have several podcasts kind of backed up now coming your way since, uh, you know, I was planning on getting a few out over the last couple of weeks and really didn't. So there's plenty to talk about on the table. I figured I would begin again with uh, a mailbag. I figured that's the best way to start the new year, kind of do a hodgepodge of things, jump around a little bit rather than getting too specific on one individual topic. But as we get closer and closer to the season and it looks like the roster may be what the roster is, you know, that, that there may not be any more additions coming here. And I'll talk about that a little bit throughout. But I can get a little more in-depth on now, okay, looking at every single position, looking at every single player battle uh, during spring training, and, and really getting into the nitty-gritty, right? But before we can do all that, I think it's always good to take the 35,000-foot view, as it were. And, and I will say that several of these questions are going to allow us to get into specifics here, but I wanted to see what was most on y'all's minds out there in the world. And we begin with a purposefully pretty funny and sarcastic question though worthy of an earnest answer still from bonkers broncos on twitter or broncos bonkers i think i got it backwards oh it's it's because the handle is one and the at is is the other so that just confused me but anyway the question is what do you think about the rockies free agent class and their stellar (laughs) additions okay so obviously the rockies haven't done a ton actually let me uh, combine this with another question from uh, our guy Operative X, who I always appreciate dealing with and, and interacting with on Twitter, uh, who says, glad you're feeling better. Thank you for that. And, and uh, says, not thrilled about the offseason. Expectations were low, but did get some good bullpen arms at a low cost. Mentioning Mears, Suter, Johnson, Pierce Johnson, right? Uh, taking some flyers on guys like Coke and Garcia. Uh, and he mentions the the Nolan Jones pickup so these really are uh, the reason i combine the two questions right because because that's it Th- those are the guys they've picked up a couple of flyer relievers who could be interesting the nice thing about them is that they're not on the 40 man so if they don't have strong spring trainings and, and it doesn't look like they're going to be able to contribute they're, they're not costing anyone else a spot you can maybe go with a a younger guy 
as a project. Of course, Riley Pint is, is probably going to be a go-to example for that, but there will be other guys in the mix there. Think, you know, Justin Lawrence last year. Um, but the the pickups of Mir Suter and Johnson, I do think, strengthen the bullpen. Losing Carlos Estevez weakened it a little bit, but overall, I think the, bull, the bullpen should be in a much better spot, and that really is the one area of the team that they've addressed a bit, and, and not only that, I will say that these pickups, Mears, Suter, and Johnson, they're not only, um, like, not only should those guys make the bullpen better because they're all quality pitchers. These are all great deals for the Rockies. Very cheap, you know, not costing them much with the opportunity to maybe build on more in the future if they feel like things are working out here. But, it, you know, they didn't go all Brian Shaw on us here, right? And and just try to get somebody that it better work because if it doesn't, you're going to have to keep running them out there because you're paying them so much, right? Any of these guys, if they get Coors Field bit, you just aren't going to see much of them. If they pitch to their career numbers, which we all know is a long shot for a reliever at Coors Field for their first time, but if they do pitch to their career numbers, all three of these guys are fantastic pickups for your team that you know, you barely had to shake the the money tree to go and get, right? And that's, that's pretty good. And it's something that hopefully, and I think this is going to be a theme of today's show. Hopefully this is about the Rockies learning their lessons and about learning how Bill Schmidt is going to be a bit of his own GM, right? There's long been this fear and it's well-founded to some extent, but I think not so much in the specifics, but still that Bill Schmidt was just going to be a Jeff Breidich clone, the way there was a fear that Jeff Breidich was just going to be a Dan O'Dowd clone. And I don't think that that bore out at all. But if the ultimate thing is to say, yeah, but they both generally failed to build anything resembling sustainable success, then sure, in that way, they were they were the same, right? And I think what we're seeing from some of these types of moves is Bill Schmidt trying to show not just trying to show, I think he is showing a little bit that he has learned from institutional memory, right? From having been around so long and having witnessed some of these things that really didn't work out. I just mentioned what, like the Brian Shaw, you know, those types of things. He's like, I'm going to go in this direction and see if we can prove that this is something we can semi-regularly, sustainably do in order to make our bullpen better. And it should be kind of the philosophy moving forward, Right. Uh, this combination of reclamation projects, which even includes, by the way, Daniel Bard, right, the anchor of the entire thing, who who's still there. And, and it's possible that the Rockies do go from having a terrible bullpen, really for the last two years, three years, uh, to having a, at least a middle-of-the-pack one, right? Now, of course, that bullpens are <laughs> highly volatile, as we all know, and, and that can tend to happen anyway. But there's a good you know reason beyond just, oh, Hope and randomness could go your way. All of these guys make the bullpen better. That said, obviously they haven't done anything anywhere else that that moves the needle much for me. Operative X mentioned Nolan Jones. I think that's an interesting pickup. Uh, again, it's nice that he's a depth piece that you don't necessarily have to feel you're immediately attached to uh, with a roster spot or anything like that. But his skill set to me leaves a lot to be desired, right? He's one of those guys you can dream on. Essentially, his the plus for Nolan Jones, uh, for those of you that don't remember, he he came from Cleveland in, in a trade where the Rockies were making <clears throat> a little bit of 40-man room. And he's got 
like elite power and, and really you could say elite strength because he also has one of the best or, or I should say at the very least strongest throwing arms of anyone in Major League Baseball like high high end you could put him at third base you could throw him out in right field if you absolutely had to I have no idea how well he would move around I know it's been talked about but he's basically a corner guy with you know raw power he can hit the ball to the moon the problem is he just doesn't make enough contact and he didn't even have super great minor league numbers. He could be one of those late bloomer guys. You know, it's he's I'll put, I'll put it another way. He's Sam Hilliard without the like athletic defensive ability, right? Big, strong guy can hit the ball to the moon. Big arm. Sam had a huge arm as well. Uh, Nolan Jones doesn't have that kind of speed by any means. But the but the the most important question is the same one: Is the guy going to make enough contact so that any of the rest of that stuff matters? Because you get out there and you're, you're striking out too much and you're hitting a buck fifty. You know, the Rockies have enough other guys in my mind who can play third base or right field. That you know, I thought it was an interesting pickup. I, I've seen a lot of people say he's got to be out there starting in right. Uh, some people have him over Michael Tolia as a, a guy on the roster, and I just. You know, we'll see what happens when spring training starts, but I don't see that. I I don't see Nolan Jones, you know, again, unless he just rakes in spring and Michael really struggles, uh, I think the organization is much more tied to Tolia. I think there's a lot more potential promise there where you've got an elite defender, you've got the switch hitting element of it. They both have the, is the guy going to make enough contact question. The thing is, if Tolia, if the answer is yes for Tolia, that's a much bigger hit, if you will, a much bigger addition to your club than if the answer is yes for Nolan Jones, who's still going to have an ultimately limited skill set. So I, I think he's an interesting bat off the bench type of guy, maybe a guy who, if he does really prove that the you know game power is going to match up with the raw power, he's someone you can have DH more often than not if Charlie is starting to diminish a bit or or whatever's going on there, but I I really don't see Jones becoming an everyday regular just with the other players that the Rockies have on this team. But we'll see. It's possible that I'm I'm very much underrating him because I haven't seen him as much as as the other guys. Um but the, the numbers just aren't there for me. I mean, the batting average, I know we don't do batting average that much anymore, but it's just, it's painfully low. You know, beginning with a one, semi-regularly, not a good place to start. And so, uh, yeah, the, the long and short of it is the Rockies made their bullpen better. The other elements of the team they haven't made better through offseason acquisitions. I've talked before about why I think the offense will get better internally. The starting pitching to me remains this gigantic question mark that I don't really know what they're doing there. And it, they may just be in a wait wait and see mode. And, and I've talked about why that might make sense before. But boy, that's the part of the team that needs the most attention and really haven't done anything on that front. All right, on to the next question. I combined a couple of there, so uh, here we go. Uh, here's a great one from uh, my guy Omar on Twitter. It says, how many 2023, uh, the year, you know, rookies are 2024 everyday players? This is a great question because I've talked a lot about the rookies on the team and who I think is, you know, has potential 
but I'm not sure I've given my full predictions yet and and gone in on who I think is going to be there. The easy answer here, obviously, is Ezekiel Tovar. That's the one where I think you can most comfortably say yes. He maintains his rookie eligibility. He only got a couple of weeks at the end of last season, even though he so he's made his debut, but he's eligible for rookie of the year, so he counts. And he's going to be an everyday player for the next several years. Then it it gets a little tough and complicated. Now, I, I'd have to actually double check this if either Montario, Montario, <laughs> I just put them together, Montero or Tolia <laughs> have, have exhausted their rookie eligibility because uh, they may have gotten a few too many at bats. But those guys, I think, are the next safest bets for becoming everyday regulars. And I think that's even a part of the plan. You know, whether they trade or just end up letting go of Blackman and Crone, those are the spots where Montero and Tolia take over if they hit this year. It all comes down to whether or not they hit this year. If they don't, then the Rockies will have to get creative, uh, think about what they want to do. You know, maybe there's other rookies they want to go with, or, or do you then want to reevaluate the possibility of going into free agency in the outfield. There's a string of interesting fringe guys, including Brenton Doyle and Sean Bouchard, who I don't think have a high chance of becoming everyday regulars, but they could. Uh, They absolutely certainly could, sort of in that way that Jonathan Daza became one last year, right? Not by blowing the world away and and becoming, you know, like a borderline all-star or or becoming one of the Rockies' better players, but just by being really, really consistent uh, in the field and at the plate. Brenton Doyle, in particular, is a guy who I could see kind of taking over in center field uh, for a a while this season, but I think it's going to be hard for him to become an everyday regular because you do have Zach Veen right there behind him. And that's the other big question. If Zach Veen makes his major league debut this year, and I imagine he will, um, I, you know, I, I still think it's a long shot for him to have a long full season with the Rockies. I, I, I've gone back and forth on Veen, and it's worth doing an entire podcast on this. I've seen some people say that last year he had a down year. That's not really the way that I saw it, considering his age, his level, and some of the things that he was able to accomplish. It's a part of the normal development process that very closely mirrors guys like Ryan McMahon and Trevor Story. Veen or even Brendan Rodgers, Veen, I think, has just got a, a better package of tools to to come up through the organization. So, you know, it, it's going to be a while. He may It may even fall back to a September call-up, but I do think he's going to make his major league debut in 23, and so he would be another candidate to potentially do that. And then uh, not a lot of pitchers in that category, but I'll again throw out Riley Pint. He's absolutely got an opportunity to win a job in the bullpen if he comes out pitching well. Uh, From a rotational standpoint, uh, I suppose there's an opportunity there for Peter Lambert and Ryan Rollison, though uh, those guys have been so injured, it's, it's tough to project really anything from them until I see him pitch again. So those are guys to keep a very close eye on in spring training. Tim says, I know the general theme of the season uh, for fans has got to be let the kids play in that vein. Who are you most excited to see get a shot 
at regular playing time and why. Uh, I'm going to say Tovar. It's hard to get more exciting than a potential superstar shortstop. And it's, look, it's way early to put that on the kid, on anybody, right? There's always a funny conversation to me because on the one hand, you shouldn't project a prospect to become a superstar almost ever, right? Uh, On the other hand, where do superstars come from? At one point, they were all prospects. So you've got to, you can allow yourself to wonder a little bit. And with Tovar, you just have the complete package. You've got a guy who's basically been major league ready, uh, above major league average, potentially elite major league defense since he arrived in the United States as a teenager. So you've got a fantastic defensive shortstop to start. Back in the 90s, that'd have been enough, right? (laughs) It's all you really needed. Um, And he's just shown such a natural feel at the plate for the last couple of years and the power showing up. And I don't think he's going to be a huge power guy. But as we've talked about with Jonathan Daza, right, there's a huge difference between a guy who can hit around 300 because he's got great contact, but you know maximum he's going to hit three homers in a year. You know, absolute maximum. Versus a guy who can kind of hang around that same general area and hit 15 home runs. 15 home runs isn't going to get you into the home run derby, right? But that's a big difference for your offense over the course of a season. And I think that's what we're looking at with Tovar. The 20 could be in there. But I think what, you know, you've really got a shot here is a guy who's an elite defender, an above average base runner, who's going to steal you some bags as well. But it's not just about that, right? He's going to beat out some infield hits. He's going to go first, third, first to home. Ball's in the gap. That speed's going to play up at Coors Field. It was one of the big tragedies of Troy Tulowitzki's career, and, and people forget about it. The, he actually moved pretty well as a young player. His rookie season, a little bit in 2008, until he had his first major injury, the big hip thing that that basically took the running part of his game. But he had 20 stolen bases one year. and But, but again, beyond the stolen bases, that skill set really helps at Coors Field when you because the outfield is so big. So on those gappers, you can score from first if you've got decent speed. And that's a big difference between a guy like, you know, CJ Cron or whoever, uh, you know, late career Charlie Blackman now who might have to get held up at third base. And if there's two outs, well, now you need another hit in order to score a run, right? I think we're going to see a lot of that kind of dynamic offense. So Tovar is going to be, in addition to an incredible defender, an exciting player to watch. Because if he does put one in the gap or somebody else puts one in the gap while he's on the bases, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him run around and do all that stuff. Then you've seen how aggressive he is at the plate, right? Getting base hits in his first two pitches seen which is pretty amazing. Not waiting around, uh, no lack of confidence, right? We've seen several other rocky rookies throughout the years who've come up and, you know, it's taken them a minute to to get to feel like they belong at the big leagues. And Tovar just already kind of looks like he belongs. He's grinded out some big long at bats. He's taken some walks that were impressive. And he's shown you that he's got some power in there. 
And so for me, yeah, and unless Veen gets there, and I don't think he will, I'm very excited about Tolia Montero. Like I said, Riley Pint's got an interesting story and, and skill set and all of those things, opportunity here. But Tovar's the guy, man. Tovar right now is about as exciting as it gets. And that actually leads great into this question because Ken asks, what is the most intriguing thing about the Rockies in 2023 of these options he gave i've got a multiple choice here so i've got to choose from one of these it's uh, the effects of the rule changes seeing if chris bryant can play at least 120 games tovar's rookie season like i was just talking about or uh, the reverse standings so i'll say this it's never for me going to be the reverse standings i don't get anything out of rooting for a slightly better pick in uh, the major league baseball draft which is very very volatile and you might end up with the best player from any given draft taken with the 27th or the 34th pick uh it might be the guy taken with the ninth or 10th it might be the guy taken first overall but it very rarely actually is right uh you can go on and on about nolan arenado wasn't even a first round pick mike trout wasn't even a first round pick uh you know, there's there's a lot of that. Trevor Story, not a first round pick. And so, well, yeah, it's still better to have one, two, or three than it is to have 10. Not so much so that I can root for losses or that I would even suggest that it's a, a wise idea to try to play for losses. You know, I, I, like I said, there's there's a lot of different ways to build in baseball in the Rockies. More than most teams do need to take advantage of drafting and developing, but that doesn't mean having the first overall pick all the time, or, or it hardly ever means that. You know, it's not the NBA or the NFL where one draft pick, especially at the right position, can just fundamentally change your team. Like, it just doesn't work that way in baseball. You need to have an army of them. And that's why the the kind of milling about and what exactly position you get. I, I, you just got to scout well and draft well on the night, regardless of position. And there are plenty of teams. The Dodgers are a great example. People love to give the Dodgers a, a ton of credit for lots of other things, which they should, and certain analytics things that they do and, and all that stuff. But I think one of the things that gets left out is we sort of valorize uh, you know, teams that tank is how well the Dodgers have managed to draft getting players like Walker Bueller at the end of the first round. You know, uh, you can get these incredible talents at the end of the first round and the sandwich round and the second or third rounds. There's a lot of talent out there in the Major League Baseball draft. And oftentimes the number one will end up retiring before he even gets to the big leagues. Right. So, yeah, not going to be the reverse standings. I just went through Tovar's rookie season, which I do think for me of these options is the one I would choose. But I want to talk about the Chris Bryant thing briefly here because I think that, you know, for, for me, it's not will he play 120 games. I still think that this conversation about Chris Bryant being injury prone is a bit overblown, though. Now that there's the plantar fasciitis thing, it's definitely something we've got to keep our eyes on and, and wonder about, right? For me, though, it's more about... Because you can't predict injuries. You really can't. 
And, and there's no way to know. So it's if he does play a decent chunk of games, 100, 120 plus games, you know, what kind of on-field impact does he really have? Because I think there's been this weird push-pull where the Rockies have maybe overstated how big of a difference Chris Bryant can make to the team. But I think, to some extent, the fans and the media are underrating what the return of Chris Bryant can mean to the team. It's not just his home runs and his hits and his doubles and his ribbies and his runs scored. And you go, okay, so plus that or, or his wins above replacement, if you want to do that, right? Let's say he's he even returns to MVP form and he puts up a seven or eight win season and where he basically you know didn't even get to one win last year. So that improves the Rockies by seven or eight games and they're still one of the worst teams in the league or they're barely mediocre or whatever. And I just that that's the thought process that I I don't buy because a player of his caliber can have an impact on all the players around him. It can be difficult to measure statistically. There are times that we can. There are things like lineup protection, and again, we can get into the weeds on all of that. And if they can't pitch around you and pitch around the next guy, at some point they've got to go and attack somebody. Uh, you know, last year very much got to the point where pitchers were just like, pitch around CJ Crone. Why would you let this guy hurt you when he's really the only one in the lineup who's doing regular damage right now? So just don't give him anything to hit because you know you very likely to get an out out of the guy behind him. But the guy behind him is Chris Bryant. That changes that considerably. And so I think that, you know, overall, uh, especially on these young guys, Chris Bryant's effect on the overall win-loss record, I do think will be, I don't want to say minimal, but, you know, he can only do so much because he can't pitch, <laughs> right? But I I think his impact on the young guys, his impact on guys like Tovar and Tolia and Montero, um, and even to some extent still guys like Brendan Rogers and Ryan McMahon as they grow more into leadership roles and more into we are core of the team and you've got to build around us type roles. I think that's where Chris Bryant is really going to make a huge impact on this next year, which is about, as we talked about in the last question, seeing the kids play and finding out who's a part of your future and who isn't. And I think Bryant is going to be there to really help these guys make the most of their opportunities and be someone who can say, yeah, I've been there before. I've won a championship. I've won an MVP and I'm here for you now. And he knows he's in for the long haul with the Rockies. And so that is the role I'm very interested to see him play. Obviously, I, I'd love it if he could get to 120 games and hit 30-plus home runs and prove that, yeah, he's still that dude. And, and I think that's important, too, because he's not nearly as old as people think either. There's this weird... I think I've talked about it before, but there seems to be this very strange narrative that Chris Bryant is old and broken and done. And it's like, after one season? Really? After one bad year? And people go, oh, he was hurt the year before. Like, a little bit, yeah, but he still played over 100 games and still, you know, basically put up his numbers. year before that, it was COVID, right? And then the years before that, he's... MVP caliber guy. So it's just weird to me that people are like, and I point out all the time, he's younger than Nolan Arenado. 
So when people act like, oh man, his career is over, I'm just like, what are we talking about? And then I will say that I think right now I have a hard time getting excited about the effects of the rule changes, but I'm sure once I'm watching the games, I'm going to be all over it. Like, I'm sure we're going to have several podcasts throughout the season where I'm just going to be like, all right, let's break that down that game specifically and how the new shifting rules totally impacted it. Uh, right. I do think that guys like Charlie Blackman are going to be able to experience a little bit of a renaissance. I think his batting average is naturally going to go up with less shifting because the guy makes a lot of contact. He's one of the few guys in the Rockies lineup who's very, very good about not striking out. But of course, he's gotten very pull happy over the last several years, which you have to be to, to generate the kind of power he's trying to generate, which is the best thing to do, which is why teams shift. Right, He hits a lot of ground balls onto the, that right side, and he also hits a lot of ground balls right back up the middle, which is where I think he's actually going to, to get the most of it. Because guys will still, the second baseman will still be able to pull over into that right side gap a little bit, um, but Charlie is really good about going right back up the middle. It's going to open up that gap quite a bit more, and he gets a lot of hits taken away from him right back up the middle, and I think that's what he's going to be happiest about. So I'll be I'll be curious about all those things. I don't know from uh you know the pitching clock standpoint. I'm trying to think uh because what's his name? I'm totally blanking on him now. The the new human rain delay, the new Rafael Betancourt cuz he was just on a one-year deal. Um Colome. Uh he's not around anymore. So I don't know that there's anyone that that's particularly going to affect, you know, though it'll be interesting. Uh, I, I do think the Rockies have a decent number of guys. Certainly they're starters. Marquez, Marquez can really slow down when he's having a bad game and he's getting in trouble. He can become super methodical. But Freeland likes to, even when he's not pitching well, he likes to grab the ball and go. He's a he's a fast rhythm pitcher. When Marquez is going well, he's a fast rhythm pitcher. Uh, Sensatella as well. I'd have to think about Gomber a little bit. But yeah, that'll be curious. But like I said, it won't really be until I'm seeing specifics that I can get like super into. Oh man, the rule changes are are really impacting the team. As I've said before, I do think the Rockies infield defense is going to be amazing and a little bit of the talk of the town because it's going to be highlighted more by the, the lack of shifting. You're going to see some truly tremendous infield defense out of the Rockies next season. Uh, my guy Mark did ask, of course, the the big encompassing question that I've kind of gotten into here, but I, I'll read it at least. It says, pessimism alert. Why should we even care? The Rockies are, you know, not good, and the game itself is looking more and more broken every year. Major League Baseball is in a tough spot, and this offseason didn't help. After last offseason of crying poor, crying poor, crying poor, and then the owners go out and start handing out these ridiculous 12-year, $330 million contracts to a handful of guys. And, of course, most of them going to the same old big market cities, right? What happened with Carlos Correa was absolutely wild, and I'll have to do another show about that entirely. And, and him ending up back in Minnesota is, is a counterpoint to all of this, but that wasn't normal, right? He almost ended up in San Francisco and then almost ended up in New York, which would have been right along the lines of what we're talking about here. So it is frustrating. Uh, the CBA continues to need 
a drastic overhaul, and I don't see that happening anytime soon. But I do think that there is light at the end of the tunnel here. I, I think that we're starting to break away a little bit. I think, I think there are people starting to push back on this idea that we should be praising the genius of Moneyball and tanking. Like there's a difference between, hey, you've got a lower budget, so you get creative with it. And hey, lose on purpose for four or five years and sell your fans on the idea that it's actually a good thing. And then you'll get covered from the media and the owners love it. You just pocket all that money and go, oh, they think we're doing something smart because it's worked for other teams before in the past. And even if it does, when teams like Chicago, the Cubs, well, either of them, but don't spend money and then get praised for being smart when they have all that money to spend. Now, I realize the Cubs have spent money this offseason, right? But the fact that they were so cheap about certain things is the reason that Chris Bryant is a Rocky now instead of a Cub. When they very easily could have just afforded to do that. So it's, yeah, it is hurting the game of baseball. I, I do see that, Mark. But I think there's finally some pushback here. We're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's pull back and say, not just is this a good thing for the Rays or the A's or some of these teams to do sometimes, because in, in, in an individual year, nobody argues against the idea that it can be very successful. Nobody has that, like no one's out there just with their eyes closed going, it doesn't work. Of course it works. If it didn't work, they wouldn't do it. If it hadn't worked for the Astros and the Cubs to winning World Series, teams wouldn't be doing it. But you do have to stand back and ask yourself the question, is this good for baseball? Is this good for the long-term health of the sport? And I think even in recent CBA stuff, and even things I've heard out of the commissioner who you know I'm not a fan of, I do see them starting to realize and recognize that it's just not good for the overall health of the game that any given year you come in and a third of the teams not only aren't doing their due diligence to, to try to win, but they're actually trying to lose on day one. And there's this race at the trade deadline and the media frenzy over if you're not trying to lose, then you're just not trying. But I think we have finally started to see a little bit of pushback. And I hope those voices just get louder and louder and louder. And the idea that you should trash a team for not trading away all of its players uh, just because they're having a bad year or whatever will start to go away a little bit. And people will realize that that sort of cutthroat, if you will, way of operating isn't good for the general overall health of the game, even if it can be good in the short term for one franchise. You know, but and then this uh, last one I'm going to do there's a couple more in here but uh, oh shoot I did want to get to Keith's about the opening day lineup let me see gone on for a little while here alright I'm going to just break this up into two because there's a few other questions that I do want to get to but 
Uh, I, I'm not going to be able to do all of them right now, and I'm not going to go for a full hour. So I'll do a mailbag part two. I might just do it as soon as tomorrow. Like I said, since it's been a little while, it's time to start getting back into uh, regular podcasts. But I do want to answer the question from Keith about what my opening day batting lineup would be or what I think the Rockies opening what I think it actually will be so that's kind of two different questions because what I would do is almost certainly not what they're going to do Uh, there's a question here about uh, the Rockies plans or identity which I think is really important for framing for the conversation coming up and then a couple other uh, slightly sillier fun ones Uh, one about a center field so I, I do want to get into all of that but let's save it for part two that'll wrap up this episode of 20th and Blake. Thanks you. Thanks. Thanks you all so much. Thanks you all for listening and make sure you're following us on Mile High Sports uh, on Twitter and all that good stuff. You're checking out all the written content at milehighsports.com. I do want to draw your attention to the YouTube channel. Uh, specifically, I've got a Todd Helton top 10 reasons why he belongs in the Hall of Fame video that just published today as I'm recording this and probably as this podcast has gone out. So if you go to YouTube, search for Mile High Sports. You should see the Todd Helton video come up. We've been sharing clips of it. You can also follow me on Twitter at Drew Creaseman or follow Mile High Sports to make sure that you're keeping up with all of it there. Follow Mile High Sports on Instagram. I don't have an Instagram, but make sure you're following MHS there. And yeah, this is hopefully just the beginning of uh, a series of Colorado Rockies content Uh, Whether it be top 10 videos like this or general looks at the history or what's going on with the team, uh, I'm really looking forward to, excited about making more YouTube content for you Rockies fans. So make sure you're subscribed. It's totally free. If you've never subscribed to anything on YouTube, by the way, it's it's not like a dollar thing. You just go there. If you don't have a profile, it takes less than five minutes to create one and then you click subscribe and then make sure you click the thumbs up on the videos and stuff because that really does actually affect the algorithms and and impact how many people will end up seeing the video so thank you so much for listening and make sure you're following on youtube and twitter and all that good stuff and other than that that you're just continuing to be absolutely awesome out there you know that i will continue to be absolutely drew creaseman in here and until next time i will see you at the ballpark